We are thrilled to have Jonathan and Elise Puckett come, and they're going to share with us this morning some of their um, astute observations and revelations about marriage, right? Come on, welcome Jonathan and Elise. God bless you. Good morning, New Covenant Church. How are y'all today? Well, um, before we get started, this chair is shorter than I thought it was going to be. Before we get started, we just really wanted to honor Pastor Sam and Yvette. I don't know if you guys know... But we have pastors who believe in marriage, who invest in marriage, who have invested yeah. in our marriage and marriages yeah. that I can see in the audience. And we just love you guys. We're so proud to serve pastors that invest in marriage and love marriage. So thank yeah. you for doing that. Well, Come I'm on, gonna, give it up for them. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, it was just so amazing uh, yesterday to be a part of, you know, a, be, to know that we're part of a church that host things like EXO Conference, and, and they really do push. They really do see the need for the ministry here uh, to marriages. And so for that, we, we really do. We honor you. Thank you for investing in us, Pastor Sam and Yvette. And so today, we have been given the opportunity to share with you our F word. We are going through a series called F words. And our F word today is family. Yeah, you can relax. (laughs) For all the newcomers, they're like, oh no, what kind of church did I come to? So we are going to share just some bits and pieces of our story as a family, what we've walked through, uh, and we're going to actually start before marriage and move through to now, um, hopefully in the next uh, 30 minutes. So uh, please pray for us. So... um, our verse today, I just want to start with this in Hebrews 11.6. And if you'd like to turn to Hebrews 11.6, you may. It says this, But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And so a theme that we have uh, caught on to just the past four years of knowing each other has been adhering to God's process. God rewards those who adhere to his process. We're going to talk about that today. So I'm going to let my wife go first. Ladies first. Yep. (laughs) To really understand our story and pieces of our story, I need to go back just a little bit to right before we met. Um, Right before we met, I was a freshman in Bible school. I had just graduated high school, and I went to Christ for the Nations Institute in Dallas. And I knew going into Bible school that I was coming in with some hurts. I knew I was coming in with some wounds that I had, um, in a sense, kind of self-inflicted and had believed some lies along the way just about um, you know, who I am and where I receive value. There were some wounds in my heart that had come from intense self-hatred, um, from insecurity. And so my, um, my first prayer to the Lord in entering Bible school was just, God, I'm just so ready to give you my everything. I'm tired of playing church. I'm tired of talking about promises that I've read in your word. I'm tired of, you know, going through the motions, like I want 
to be in the middle of your process. I want to be near to you in everything. And so I just allowed the Lord to begin to, to heal my heart and walk through the process of seeing healing, not just saying one prayer and getting disappointed when I still had wounds, but really walking those things out and seeing promises of God come about in my life. And I'd say even just through that first semester, I saw an intense difference in my heart. I noticed that I didn't find my value in the opinions of others anymore. I really genuinely believed I was chosen by God. I genuinely believed that he needed and wanted me. But I noticed that there were some, there were some mindsets that had not changed, that there were some habits that I had built in being an, an insecure person. And I was, I was like, God, I know that you've changed my heart, but I'm ready to walk like a free person. I'm ready to think like a free person. And so I began to pray this prayer. God, I just want you to make me invisible. And the next person that pursues me, I want him to be the one. I'm tired of playing the games. I'm just ready to go all in. Um, and so I just began to ask God, Lord, would you just remove these distractions in my life? And see, the funny thing was, when I would go into these times of prayer, I could, I could visualize, you know, maybe men that had hurt me or words that had hurt me, and I would give them over to the Lord as an offering. But there was this one third year, it was a three-year Bible school program, there was this one third-year guy that I could never get out of my mind, had never met him, had never even spoken to him, but there was just something unique about his presence. And I knew instantly that there was something different about him. And my friends used to tease me, oh, Elise is in love with that guy that doesn't know she even exists. It was, it was humbling, for sure. But I couldn't, um, even when I would try to ask the Lord to just remove, you know, whatever, the distraction of who he was, I just couldn't shake him. And I would get really <laughs> aggravated at myself and at the Lord. Um, but I told myself, he's graduating, and I will never think about this man again. So, so give you a little more context here. At um, Christ for the Nations Institute, there was a second name for Christ for the Nations. It was known as Brides for the Nations. <laughs> and so... You know, there was almost this expectation like, hey, ring by spring, you know, hey, you know, that kind of thing um, when you came in. So <clears throat> when I came to Christ the Nations, I just determined in my heart, I said, if I get a wife while I'm here, that's great. That's really cool. But I should be here for the Lord. I want to be here for the Lord. And I want to get a foundation for my life. That's what the priority was. So I managed to make it through three years of not dating anybody at Christ for the Nations. Praise God, because there's a lot of crazy ones out there. Um, but one fateful day, I was in the auditorium during a moment of worship, and my eye caught a fair maiden across the way, and it was as if the clouds parted and a beam of, a beam of light shone upon her face as she lifted her hands and thought to myself, hmm, all right. Said, I would like to get to know her. And so from that day forward, I kind of had it in the back of my mind, it would be great to maybe happen upon meeting her, you know, maybe through a friend, friend, friend. So I kind of asked around about her and uh, I got so frustrated. I was in my third year, so I knew some people at this point. But I was so frustrated, nobody knew who she was. Nobody, nobody. I looked everywhere. It was like she was invisible. I had friends, okay? It was, I had friends. It was weird. Yeah, she, okay. 
Sure. No. Uh, so uh, the people that didn't know her were like friends of friends of twice removed cousins, friends that heard about her, and I'd be like, "Could you maybe like work this out for me?" And maybe you just sit next to her in the lunchroom. Never happened. So I just prayed. I prayed. I said, "Lord, if this is you, you know, you'll make it happen. Um, you're gonna make it happen. And if it doesn't, I'm okay." I'm going to be just fine. I'm done here, you know. See if an eye's over. I'm going to move on with life. Well, last week of school rolls around, and a miracle happened. Um, she was in the cafeteria at the same time as me. What? <laughs> and so I said, this is my chance. I, it's the last week of school. I need to say hi. Just say hi. That's it. So I see her walking out of the lunchroom, and so I kind of go into a slow pace to get to her, and She's a little far ahead of me, so I need to pick it up the pace, and I bust through the doors, and I'm kind of running at this point, and she's in the uh, parking lot, which is a great place to meet people, and I just keep going, and then what was your reaction, honey? I tapped her on the shoulder. and He grabbed my shoulder, and I spun around and screamed in his face, <laughs> and my immediate reaction was, oh my God, who told him? <laughs> he, this is so embarrassing, you know? He's this third year, I'm this little first year, you know? Who told him? I was, you know, expecting to see a friend hidden, you know, laughing. Um, but we had a good conversation. He walked me to my dorm room, and as soon as the door shut, I called six of my friends, and I told them, in your face, because he chased me down. Um, That's right. So that happened, and Jonathan loves the, this part of the story, so I'm going to let him tell day, it. The next day, the very next day, I was determined. I said, I was just going to ask her out to coffee. I'm going to find her. I'm going to ask her to coffee. And I was sitting outside the lunchroom waiting for her and, with a buddy of mine at the time, and um, I waited and waited and waited. She wasn't coming out, and I was thinking, oh, man, this is so silly. I'm just sitting here, you know, wasting my time. But she busts out of the door, just comes out of the door with two, and I'm quoted, Elderly gentleman, I've been given a lot of flack for this, but I thought to myself, that could only be two people, her dad and her pastor. I said, it's over. There is no way I can ask her out right now. This is, I'm done. And I looked at my friends, I said, dude, it's done. We're done. We're, we're through. He said, no, you're going over there. He said, you're going to talk to her. And I said, okay, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm going to just wave. And he's like, yes, you are. And so we walked over there, and we're walking by at the doors, and I go to wave. I said, hey, how's it going? And then she says, Jonathan, I want you to meet some people. And I'm like, ah. and then I turn, my friend is nowhere to be found. He's just gone. <laughs> so much for a wingman, right? And so I spent the next few very nervous moments of my life meeting Sam Fisher and Christopher Bauer for the very first time. And what, what was their impression of me? Um, Pastor Sam, a couple minutes after Jonathan walked away, proceeded to tell me that I could do better. <laughs> <laughs> Which I remind Puckett of all the time. No, just kidding. Um, but just to kind of fast forward a little bit, we went on our first date the next week. Um, Ten days after his graduation, he's texting me asking if he can come see me and Tyler drive all the way from Fort Worth. And I said, of course, I say yes. We go on a date while he's there, and in my nervousness, if you know me well, you know that I can get a little awkward. In my nervousness, I, I begin to tell him how I had been watching him for months, 
and that I thought that he was amazing and I was just so thrilled that he introduced himself to me and it was really funny that I pretend not to know him and um, to which he replied, you just told me my own story, my you know, story. that was my story, I was going to tell you and I can remember just in that moment holding back tears because, you know, even though obviously on our second date I wasn't thinking marriage, but I was thinking, God, you just write the most beautiful stories. You know, I had prayed to be hidden and um, you protected my heart. Now here I am with this man that I put on this high pedestal, you know, and we're sitting there telling each other how we've been, you know, really looking for one another. And it was in, it was in that season that I learned that when you adhere to God's process, he writes a beautiful story. You yeah. don't have to make it happen. He does all the work and desires to bless your socks off. So um, moving into our next season, um, we ended into a very serious dating relationship. We knew pretty early on that you know we were falling in love and that we were looking toward marriage. And I kind of went into this dating season with um, some silly expectations. You know, I had never really dated growing up. I had never been physical with anybody, and so, and I had never really, thankfully, struggled with lust. And so, I thought to myself. Sex before marriage, easy. Like we don't, we, we won't have to struggle with this. Like you know, um, we love each other. We love Jesus. This is good. Like, sex is not even on my radar right now. <laughs> um, so I was horrified when I truly began to fall in love. That all of a sudden I didn't only want to show my love through words. I didn't only want to show my love through actions. But there was a piece of me that was starting to move into this area of oh I. I really love this man. Like, I want to show him my love, you know, not only in these ways, but physically. And I can remember feeling such utter shame because my dad was a pastor. I went to Bible school. <laughs> um, you know, I loved the Lord with my whole heart and I was total advocate for purity and just doing it the way that, you know, that the Lord lines it out for us in the word. And so I was, I was embarrassed. I was thinking, Elise, you know, Maybe you weren't really meant to be together. Maybe this, you know, was all set up. Maybe you should break up. Maybe he's a pervert. Maybe, maybe, you know, maybe there's something wrong with me. Um, and I can just remember battling this alone for the longest time because I was just sure that nobody else had dealt with this. And I was just sure that if I told somebody, you know, that they would want to judge us. So I can just remember feeling very lonely in that season. Yeah, um, and so we just came to the point where we realized we had entered a battle, and that battle was a fight for our purity, and we knew the goal in this relationship, um, ending in marriage, is, hey, we, we want to give, give ourselves to each other in purity. We want to be virgins at the altar. Like, that's, that's our goal, and we want to honor God with this, because this is, God, God's doing this. We want to honor him with our best. And so we just had to do the next best thing and, and bring, bring it to the light, bring this stuff to the light. And so the first thing we did was if we ever got to a place where we felt like we were dishonoring God with our relationship with the, between each other, we brought it before God and said, God, help. God, help us. We can't do this on our own. Every time bringing it to his feet and saying, God, we need your help in this. My flesh wants to do something contrary to what you desire. 
And secondly, grabbing resources, finding things to help us. Books, reading books, premarital books. There, there are tons out there, amazing ones. A couple of them we read were um, Boy Meets Girl. Another one is Moral Revolution by Chris Valentin. Just some amazing uh, material out there that can change your mind, change your mindset, your perspective. And then getting accountability. Finding people who are further along than you, finding prayer partners. We reached out to Corey and Tristy. They were there for us at, you know, through this premarital process. Uh, we reached out to friends who we really trust and said, hey, we need your prayer in this. Can we share this with you? And through that time, we just gained that support. But nevertheless, it wasn't easy. If anybody's been there, you know, it's not easy. It's not an easy process. And so um, one, of the, one of the things that I caught on to during this time, uh, Chris Valadin talks about in one of his books I'm, I want to read here. Uh, he paints the picture of your virginity being like a trophy uh, that you present to your spouse on your wedding day. And he says this, he says, trophies are only meaningful because they represent the high cost of sacrifice. Thus, the significant thing about these trophies is not the trophies themselves, but the stories they represent, the stories of victory, hard work, excellence, creativity, and sacrifice. Without the stories, they're just hunks of metal, plastic, paint, or ribbon. And so we determine in our hearts that it was worth the sacrifice. It was worth the fight. Going from the battlefield to the bedroom, it was worth it, presenting that trophy. And we can stand here and say, we were able to do that. We were able to stand at the altar and, and be pure before each other because of those things. And I wanna tell you, on our wedding night, that reward far outweighed uh, the temporal need for, you know, immediate gratification. It really did. And we don't look back and say, man, I really wish we, we didn't do that, you know. Like, we don't. The reward far outweighs that. It really does in the end. Yeah, and I think the, you know, the beautiful part of this is not only did we make it to the bedroom as virgins, but we went into marriage with a deeper understanding of grace. <laughs> we made it into marriage with understanding that it's only through Jesus that we can get through tough times. You know, it's not by sheer will, but it's through his grace and his revelation of his heart that we're able to walk through those things together. And, um, you know, the desires that we had were okay. <laughs> they were good. Yeah. But the choice was to having to submit those to the Lord and asking for help, asking for his wisdom, asking for him to walk it out with us. And um, we'll tell you every day, it was only through his grace, you know, that we made it. And um, he just painted the most beautiful story. And not only that, but we learned that when you adhere to the process, he gives you grace. <laughs> he doesn't ask you to do these huge things and then says, figure it out, you know. Make it happen on your own. He gives you the grace. He gives you the tools. And he delights when we have to lean on him. Um, so I think you want to... Should we fast forward in time? Yes, let's do fast that. Fast forward to this. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> so we find ourselves seven months into marriage man, we have these great plans. It's amazing. Man, we have our lives set out before us. She's in a finished school. She's going to be a teacher. Oh, man. We're, 
we're in ministry. We're going to go into full-time ministry. This is going to be awesome. You know, um, we have financial goals. You know, we're going to do the, you know, the debt snowball and the whole spiel. We're getting there. And it's awesome. These dreams, yay, God. Yeah. And I, we were sitting in, I was sitting in the living room one fateful night. And um, my wife comes up to me carrying this very foreign object um, with two blue lines on it. And says to me, Jonathan, will you help me raise this baby? And at that moment, our lives were completely changed. (laughs) It went from, Lord, we are so ready. We can do this to, oh my gosh. (laughs) Whatever are we going to do? And we said, we're not ready for this. We don't have the finances. We don't have the college fund. We don't have, you know, we're just, who are we? How are we going to raise this child? And so the next day I was just asking Lord, I said, Lord, what are you thinking? And he, he clearly told me, I clearly remember him saying, you are ready. I see you as being ready to be a father. And I give you that right. And I can't explain to you what those words did for me, how those words validated me as a man. I needed to hear that from a father to say, he saw me as ready, even when I didn't see myself as ready. And that began to turn and change uh, my perspective at that moment. What was your story, love? Mine's a little different. Um, (laughs) If you know me, I love to plan. I love to set goals. I love to see those goals completed. And I know what you're thinking. Um, You should celebrate life. God loves life. God loves babies. Of course, of course, of course. But I still had to walk through a mourning period of about just a few weeks of mourning the dreams that I had, um, mourning the plans that I had created, mourning the things that I had invested prayer into. And I can remember um, driving to work one day, literally bawling, like not cute cry, ugly cry, and saying, God, because I can talk to this way to him because we're friends. I say, God, what the heck are you thinking? You know, don't you know we're not ready? God, can't you see this and know that we're not ready? Like, is this a mistake? What are you doing? And I was just so mad, not because of life, but because I wanted life to look different for the baby to come into. And I, I can just remember almost, this is probably as close to an audible voice that I've ever heard. I can remember God just chuckling, which made me more mad, and him saying, you don't know the joy that's coming. You don't know the joy that's coming. And I said, all right, God, and that brought me you know, to a place of peace, but I said, but you're still going to have to provide, because on paper, this doesn't make sense. So you're going to have to do something supernatural up there and make it happen. Um, So just a quick testimony in that season, um, I can remember scrolling through Pinterest, scrolling through Pinterest and thinking, I want this in the nursery, I want this in the nursery, can't afford that, can't afford that, you know. And I remember coming upon this crib that I was just like, man, I just, you know, I wish that we could, this might sound silly to guys, but women will understand, I just really wish we could have this crib, but... You know, just as long as baby has somewhere to sleep, we'll be fine. God's got it, you know. Um, And just a few days later, one of my favorite people in the whole world, she knows who she is, texted me. 
and said, um, hey, there's a lady at our work giving away all this baby stuff. Do you need a crib? And she sends me this picture, and y'all, it was the exact <laughs> crib that I've been looking at on. online. And um, that was just the first moment in my heart that I was like, God's going to take care of this, not only just meeting the bare minimum, but he's going to give us the desires of our heart. And through this process, I've learned that children are a gift. <laughs> They're a gift. If, you know, if you've been blessed with children, you know it's a place of honor. God honors you when he gives you children, and um, they don't ruin dreams. That's such a worldly mentality. Kids don't ruin anything. Yeah. They don't destroy anything. They enhance everything. Yeah. And um, that was really just kind of a turning point yeah. for us. Yeah, it was just a change in the mindset. And uh, we just began to believe that um, our baby was God's dream. You know, it, it was his dream for us to have this child. We began to believe in that. And let me, I just want to tell you what um, Isla's name means. Isla, our baby, Isla Jubilee. Isla means uh, to reform or to make better, actually. Uh, Isla with an H on the end specifically. Um, it means to make better, to put something in a better position. We really do believe that her coming into our lives was making things better, yeah. like Elise said. God, God's improving our lives with this child. And secondly, Jubilee, if you know, um, you probably heard it taught on, is on the Jewish calendar, <laughs> and it came every 50 years. And this was a time where it was said, uh, liberty was proclaimed, and all the land... And uh, land that had been sold to, to pay off debt was actually, it would, have, it would be brought back to the original families. It would be restored to the original families at that time. And here's what's even crazier. Um, we thought of that name before we found out that it actually was the year of Jubilee. Yes, it's crazy. And Sam actually talked about this last year, um, it being the year of Jubilee. And her due date was set on October 8th, um, which actually would have fallen out of the year of Jubilee on the Jewish calendar. But it just so happened she was born three weeks early, and she was born within the year of Jubilee. Give God praise. Come on. Isn't that, so you can't tell me, you just can't tell me that's not God. All of the confirmations, all of the things that the Lord was saying, this is my dream. Yeah. You know, he was just revealing it to us and we were shifting our mindset to believe that and to know that. And so what we got out of that is to know God dreams, when he dreams, he dreams generationally. Amen. It's not just about you. It's not just about me. It's not just about Elise and I. He thinks about your kids. He thinks about your kids' kids. He thinks down the line. He sees the big picture. And so when you step into his process and you adhere to his process, you, you step in his dream, yeah. which, which is generational. Yeah. And that, that's powerful. So. And we just, in telling you our story, um, we just, our hope is that you're encouraged that um, truly when you adhere to God's process, even though it can look a little murky while you're in it, or it can be a little nerve wracking, letting go of control. Um, I just hope that you can see through each of these pieces of our lives that he, he does write beautiful stories. He does give grace in the process and he does dream generationally for you and through you. 
and um, that you know that he, he's got it covered. <laughs> he really does. And he wants to paint these stories for you and give you the grace that you need. So be encouraged this morning that in every season there's a process, but through that process, God is faithful. God really is faithful. Yeah. I, um, I'd like to, in this time, we're just praying for a couple groups of people. Before I do that, I just wanted to uh, say that verse again that we brought up at the beginning. And just let's just listen to it. It says, uh, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Hebrews 11.6. When we, when we submit and we adhere to his process, he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. 